We are grateful for all of you, and uh, today, I've really been looking forward to this today. Um, truth is, I love to every time I have the opportunity to open the Word of God uh, with you. But today, I want to conclu- conclude uh, four weeks of looking at the appearances of the Lord Jesus after His resurrection. Now, this is a this time frame that we're looking at, we're going to jump right back into. I call today, uh, for the sake of time, we're just going to go directly to this text and ask you to turn in your Bible to the first chapter of the book of Acts, the first chapter of the book of Acts. And when you do so, being mindful here today that, um, that this brings to all of us a clear insight into a very unusual time, incredibly unusual time, and that is that in that 40 days, now think of Easter for a minute, maybe this is a new thought, and so we want to connect on this in a way that everyone, uh, something rings in the, in the brain of everyone here today, and that is that um, Easter means so much to all of us, and when you think of it in just in terms of its impact as far as something most people have some association of their heart toward, just as Christmas does. And we might say as, as followers of the Lord, we might uh, sometimes, we certainly do, criticize the uh, secularization and the, and the trivialities that surround these holidays. But, but you go, go to the Bible, you go right into the very heart, the really essence of the, the events designed by Almighty God to bring to each of us real salvation, full salvation. And that word salvation in Scripture has a broad meaning that results in the glories that are indescribable by anyone's human words of eternity in heaven and all that it means when we hear the great promise of God in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son Whosoever believeth in him shall, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that contrast between eternal perishing and the glory of eternal life is, an, is, an, is awesome. So when we come to Acts chapter 1, we're now, we're now at the, the conclusion of this very unusual time. When we think of Easter, we think and should of the most momentous miracle in all of history, the miracle that is the culmination of all the mighty miracles that God gives us insight into in Scripture, the raising to eternal glorification, raising from the dead of our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've just sung a couple of songs that really illuminate the the agonies of the cross and the sacrifice that He made for us. And then in the glory of his resurrection life, he initiates a really unusual time. It is 40 days by God's perfect timing and plan between the resurrection morning and the moment that we're going to read in a moment here where the Lord Jesus bodily ascended into heaven. And from that point, Jesus is telling the disciples to wait for the promise that he'd given of the coming Holy Spirit. And for them, we look back on it and we know, and it's easy to remember, it was 10 more days until Pentecost, 
the 50th day, literally what the Hebrew word Pentecost meant was 50 days, and the Holy Spirit's descent upon the, the, the newly born bride of Christ, the launching and the living of the church, came on Pentecost. But the unusual time frame on this fourth Sunday as we look at these appearances, I don't want to leave this series without us pausing to think about what a remarkable, unrepeatable, and awesome time frame this 40 days was from the resurrection until what we're about to read in Acts chapter 1. Now with that in mind, with your Bible open, I'm reading the New International Version today in in this section, and uh, you are invited to just follow along in whatever translation that um, is in your lap today. And as we hear this, we come to what I want to share with you is is the last of the encounters that the Lord planned for launching the new covenant people into life. I just think of it simply as launching into life because we are reading here and understand that what Jesus does in this paragraph we're about to read is he concludes this remarkable 40-day period with clear instructions that apply to all of us and bring to all of us the power of a daily indwelling gift of God that enables us to live with increasing joy and fulfillment and focus in our lives. And so just from the screen, just read this one pull quote, and then we'll go into the text in our Bibles. Read it aloud with me, the part there in the blue. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Now this is Such a remarkable time. Obviously, when we read it and when we see it, our first thought, I'm sure for all of us, would be, uh, boy, wouldn't you have wanted to be there? You talk about a, you talk about a, we hear about conventions and conferences and seminars. My, wouldn't that have been a seminar, you know, you would have wanted to be in? And and it's it's one of those wondrous marks of the God-breathed scripture that we talked about in March when we looked at Open Bible Workshop, that God brings to all of us in his word these reminders of the the timeless and unrepeatable miracles our Lord performed in order to bring all future believers into the kingdom where we can know righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so when we think of it this way, let us hear together this is a rather longer reading. Let's read verses 1 through 11, and let's hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. 
but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when we read the word baptized, think of it as immersion. You'll be engulfed, you'll be immersed. You'll literally be, you'll plunge into the waters of the Holy Spirit. What a wondrous imagery there. And then verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That is, the farthest reaches of the earth. So here we are given by God this incredible insight into the instructions of the Lord and these instructions then lead us to the momentous event that every subsequent epistle from Romans all the way through the little epistle of Jude before the last book of the Bible, that every epistle refers to in some way indicating that here at the ascension of the Lord Jesus, all of us can count on the fact that this good news going forth into all the earth is being governed and guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit through the vessels of human beings. So I want to read that eighth verse again in light of that, thinking about that. Remember, and look at it in your Bible, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. And I want to invite you to say something with me very briefly in that text, and that is, I will receive. We'll do it future tense now. I know many of you could say, oh, I've already have, but I want you to see it with me as the text says it. But I will receive power. Let's say that again. But I will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Now, I wanted to personalize it simply here because the emphasis of that eighth verse is on you. It's on the individuality and the unique fact that God has chosen ordinary people to be the vessels by which this magnificent continuation of his kingdom plan would spread across the globe. What an amazing thing. How easy it would be for us at times to step back and take that for granted, don't you think? Now let's go to that 9th through 11th verse and let's read this momentous event at which to which all that the promises Jesus made to the disciples has led up to, 9 through 11 of Acts 1. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. He was, they were looking up, and they continued looking up, and as they were looking up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, this is, you, you can't miss a bit of, almost a bit of um, divinely arranged humor here. 
in a way, if you, you, because all of us can identify with this, obviously, because here they've just literally, their lives have been absolutely revolutionized in ways no one could have ever imagined. They've had 40 days of periodic, sudden, unexpected appearances of the Lord Jesus, and he's equipped them and prepared them for the future, and yet even with that preparation, they really don't know how long they'll wait. And as the Lord is ascending into heaven bodily, their eyes are riveted on that sky. Mine would too, and yours would too. And yet, by that very corrective of the angels, we have an amazing reminder to all of us of why we're here on this Sunday morning. And that is, the angel said to these men, why do you stand here looking into the sky? That's not the assignment that God gave them nor us, is to stand around gazing into the sky, wondering when's something going to happen? <laughs> and you know, in a figure speech, we all do that at times. God, where are you? <laughs> I know you were here. Where are you, Lord? And when are you coming back? And, and there's, a, there's an intriguing balance in the Scripture. If we're, if we're true to the entire canon of, of, of all of the New Testament, we, we have to know. There, I like a, a comment that uh, Dr. Fred Craddock made many years ago. It stuck with me. He said, sometimes we get things out of balance because we forget that the Bible knows the Bible knows. The Bible knows things that we take for granted. The Bible knows things are not always as they appear to be. And the balance that we have to bear in mind here is the Bible does tell us to be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith in Hebrews 12 too. And we are always to be mindful of the, of the immediacy and the urgency of the hour. And yet the focus of this angelic message in Acts 1 was was be aware now, because he's ascended, things have changed. In fact, the rest of verse 11 gives it to us like this. Would you go back into verse 11? This same Jesus. Would you say those three words with me? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. How awesome this is. This same Jesus that you have seen go into heaven will return. This is the turning point for the launching into life of the early church. And when you think of it like this, it's very helpful, I think, to, to come to Acts chapter 1 with, um, with a few things in mind that I think can help all of us to kind of put together what's happening here. First of all, there were appearances of the risen Lord after his resurrection that are described in the first three verses of Acts chapter 1. And if you go back to that, just take note that uh, Luke introduces this magnificent manuscript. And bear in mind, too, that in the writings of Luke, if we have the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together, that Although the Apostle Paul penned more quantity of epistles in all, the entire work of Luke and Acts is even more content than all of those epistles. And I say that to say that what we find in the book of Acts is so foundational to everything that we need to know 
as followers of Jesus to live the Spirit-filled life. And I'm mindful today in our generation that we've got to recapture and recover the brilliance and the beauty of these truths. And it's very notable that what we've been talking about now for four Sundays is exactly what Luke is emphasizing as he gathers together all of that historical data and does the task that, that God had uniquely chosen this uh, human writer to do, and that is to make it crystal clear that this coming church, this coming uh, movement of God among ordinary people that will span the globe, that it is going to be, it is only possible because Jesus is raised from the dead, and because Jesus is alive, we can count on the fact that God is doing exactly what Jesus had promised would be done here. Luke summarizes these resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus precisely because they were unrepeatable. These were events Jesus designed to be a permanent part of the understanding of all believers of all time that we can all joyously say together today that he is alive. Amen? So in this same passage, in verse 4 and 5, there's an anticipation that Jesus places in the hearts of his disciples of the promise of God. Now he spoke about it in great detail in John 14, 15, and 16. And that is a parallel passage to read is so enriching to think about the different aspects of this coming of the promised one that Jesus described. The most uh, prominent feature, uh, we could say, maybe the vestibule into the other attributes of the Holy Spirit, would be John 14, 18, where Jesus said to the disciples, I will never leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And it's a moving expression in the way Jesus described that I personally will be coming to you in the promise of the Holy Spirit. He repeated that in that 15th chapter of John when he compared it to branches in a vine and the life that goes through the vine into the grapes in a typical vineyard. And in that illustration, obviously, the, the vine is simply an instrument, a very ordinary instrument of a, of a life principle that is producing fruit. You don't ever walk up in these vineyards around the corner from our church here. If you got out of your car and walked up to that vineyard, you'd put your ear to it. You wouldn't hear the vineyard going, ugh, ugh, trying to grow. No, it's just life. Life is in those vines. Jesus described the life of this resurrection life that he's now presented to the apostles. It's like it's a life principle. And once you're in Christ, the production and the possibilities of being productive and fruitful grow and abound, not because of you or me, but because of the living Christ, the living Savior. In other words, John 14, 15, and 16 all anticipate that none of these wondrous promises would be possible apart from the resurrection of Jesus. But it's in the resurrection of his glorified body, the person of Christ, our risen King, who ascended bodily to the very right hand of God Almighty. As ancient creeds summarize that great truth, it reminds us that all of the dynamic 
promises of God's grace in our lives are because you and I serve a living Savior. The promise he gave in John chapter 16 takes that a step further in John 16, 13 when he talks about not only that he'll be with you, not only but that there will be a life principle as John 15 tells us, but in John 16, 13 he adds this element of guidance. John 16, 13, Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not draw from himself, but his purpose will be to draw from all that is in Christ and make it known to the child of God. So what we have here in Acts 1, 4, and 5 is now these men clearly have all that in the background of their brain. And in spite of the trauma of that crucifixion and resurrection weekend, now Jesus is bringing them right back to where he, where he conversed with them at great length in that upper room. And he's saying, now, those amazing things that I talked to you about before I was betrayed, now, wait, 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 it's about to happen. And of course, like us, I'm sure they had to be like us because they were very typical guys. All of them and all of the, the guys and the women in the, the larger group of followers, they're all typical humans. How many of you know typical humans are not very patient? And, and, we're always, and every time we're waiting, we're wondering, well, when is this going to be over? Or what, what am I waiting for? And of course, in retrospect, when we look at the day of Pentecost, we can, oh, oh, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we think it would be 10 more days? But they didn't know that. And this is the beautiful thing about this part of the book of Acts is that is that we're getting an insight, we're getting a glimpse into how God, how the Lord launched this new covenant people into life. He gave them an assurance of his power. They asked about the future of the actual physical entity of Israel. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They'd learned about the kingdom of God. And then they began to wonder, well, maybe, maybe now's the time that Israel as, a, as an entity, as a nation, will see its political and military deliverance. No, 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 no. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. The Father has put in his own authority. What's so remarkable there is Jesus is saying like he is to us, there are times in life when you need to focus on exactly where the Lord is aiming you. And that aiming for the church today, it's so easy to get distracted, that aiming is Verse 8 tells us, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you, you will be my witnesses. Now, earlier I asked you to say, I will receive power. Now I'd like you to say with me, I will be his witness. Could you say it with me? I will be his witness. And, and you might stagger at that sometimes and think, How, am I really qualified? The beauty of Acts 1-8 is it's reminding us that all of the most essential ingredients that are part of, of the Lord's good news, touching every corner of the globe for us beginning right here in beautiful Westminster and Carroll County. That it all, it's all connected to this wondrous, life-giving, resurrection life promise in which when Jesus prepared them for that ascension, he was literally preparing them for a new dawn. His ascension in verses 9 to 11 was the launching of the brand new covenant that he had promised. 
when he broke the bread and poured the fruit of the vine in that last supper event that we commemorate and observe in remembrance of our Savior's sacrificial atoning death, he said this, referring to the very body he was about to give within less than 12 hours in agonizing crucifixion, and this cup, referring to the fruit of the vine, representing that lifeblood of the living Savior, the God-man, that was about to be poured out in atoning sacrifice so that you and I could say what 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2 says, My little children, I write unto you these things that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2.2 2 is God's promise that that blood he shed on the cross is available for all of us to receive a heart cleansing. And so in these, in these four weeks, we looked at a variety of these appearances. In each case, there's something unique about where Jesus chose to meet them. Think of it like this. The first actual person, after seeing evidence of the empty tomb, the first human to actually lay eyes on the glorified Lord was Mary Magdalene. And when Mary Magdalene saw him, she first thought he was the gardener. She she's, appears to have been gradually beginning to step out of that rocky and of the tomb. He meets a man, and Mary thinks it's a gardener, and says, wherever you've taken the body of my Lord, please bring me to him. And then she hears those matchless tones of his voice, Mary, Mary. In response, she says, Rabboni, my master, the sound of the shepherd's voice rings in the ear and into the heart of the first person who saw the risen Lord in his full glorified state, though still, as he did for the two on the road to Emmaus, he's, in essence, walking incognito. He's, he's appearing as a, as a normal man. Even that's a manifestation of his awesome power. Think of what he had to, think of the radiant splendor that he had to wrap up and control and contain in order to appear merely human. Because now our glorified Lord is the living eternal proof that God Almighty had planned for humanity to be redeemed from the curse. So in all of these cases, what's remarkable is Jesus chooses to meet Mary Magdalene and then he sees Simon Peter on the road, and then the two, the, the three women together, and then the appearance that night in the upper room, with what we saw three weeks ago, the 11 minus 1, when we saw the 10 there when Thomas was not there, and then a week later, with they're the same gathering, the same place, but George Jesus comes back into that dwelling place, passing through the walls, and appears among them, and greets Thomas with that unbelievable invitation to literally touch those vicious wounds in his wrist and in his side, and then to use Thomas' experience of the grace of God touching him and bringing him that clear picture, to use him as a way to 
illustrate how much great for you today to walk by faith. From the moment he met Mary Magdalene in that tomb area, Jesus was speaking to all of us that in his risen glory, there's no place on earth that can contain or exclude the glory of our king. In fact, isn't it amazing that he chose a tomb, a place of death, a place of grief, a place of sadness, a place of heart-breaking agony. That very place, most of us dread even getting near at times. He chose that to bring his resurrected life. Meeting Mary in the graveyard. Meeting Mary at the point of human, absolute human impossibility. And manifesting to her in that tender voice, Mary, that he knew her name. And so we saw, too, that he chose Jerusalem for some of these places of appearance, and then he chose the Sea of Galilee for that, that remarkable encounter where, again, incognito on the shore, he's eating breakfast on the shore in a campfire, and the disciples, the seven, are out in that boat and laboring as they had, oh, about three-plus years earlier when he first called them to follow him and laboring through the night. And then that wonderful restoration of Simon Peter that we saw, he comes to meet not only in a tomb of death and despair, but he comes to meet these men in the reality of their work life. And we could then extrapolate that to many, many things in your life as a way to say the appearances of the Lord Jesus are to you where you are. And in the Galilee region, as we saw last week, he put the focus on the Great Commission. He takes them to that mountain of the Beatitudes, and he says, now, all these blessings you heard about here, the blessedness of the pure in heart, the blessedness of the poor in spirit, the blessedness of the power is being dispensed to you to go into all the world and make disciples. And why could they do it so confidently? Because they could all say what you and I can say today, that he is alive. He's alive. Christ is alive. And in this first chapter of the book of Acts, he makes that priority in his living presence to be that you and I do exactly what they Fourth verse. And he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which you've heard from me. Now, so when we think about this, I think it would also be helpful to think about the fact we know that uh, Luke's, Luke's gospel here is a sequel. Luke's Acts, Luke's writing of this magnificent manuscript is a sequel to the gospel. So with your Bible open, would you go back to Luke chapter 24 just for a moment, won't take long, and look at that 24th chapter of the gospel of Luke and notice that in that 50th verse of Luke chapter 24 that Jesus is described here in a different angle of the camera lens, you might say. Now, we have to bear in mind, of course, that Luke was tasked with recording all of this so that the average person in a primarily Greek cosmopolitan culture could understand something that happened in a primarily Jewish world. 
And so Luke is given the task of, of bringing to the, the, the everyday man on the street, you might say, in, in cities and municipalities and small towns and rural villages all across what is now modern Turkey, all across Greece. And, these, and the word would spread to Rome with, with, as Luke himself personally comp, a, a, accompanied the Apostle Paul on that, in that shipwreck to Rome. And so f- when you start at chapter 1 of Acts and go to chapter 28, you get, literally, you get something that's amazing. You get a 30-year span of time from Acts 1 to Acts 28, 30 years in the developing of life of the early church because by the word of the Lord and by the resurrection power of God, they had been launched into life. And now what Luke's writing begins to uh, wrap its, its, uh, its great descriptive powers around is a different angle lens, if you found Luke 24, 50, it's a different angle lens on how this ascension to the right hand of God viewed, left the lives of those who were there gazing into heaven. And as he closes that first part of his two-part sequel, again to the same recipient, we looked at Theophilus, in fact, six months ago in November, a little bit about this uh, mysterious character, Theophilus. And if you go to Luke 24, verse 50, it says that he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while Jesus blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Now pause for a minute at verse 51 and think of it like this, that here in the first description concluding the gospel, a few years earlier, he's explained to Theophilus and all future readers that when the Lord blessed these people right outside of Jerusalem in that beloved place called Bethany, that he dispensed them to a place where they began immediately to gather and look at what verse 52 says they did. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and would you read verse 53 aloud? I don't, whatever translation you've got. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. We'll wait for the Amplified Bible people to finish, okay? But uh, isn't this wonderful? They're, they're in the temple, they're praising and blessing God. Now, what this does for us is it puts us at this 40 day threshold that Jesus has given them by the appearances, and in all of these pre-ascension appearances, Jesus is leading them to a threshold of what Luke 24, 52, and 53 gives to the the church today. I could put it very simply like this. I've often said this. Every Sunday is a brand new opportunity for every Christ-loving, Christ-centered church to bring their best to their risen king. And, and we can take heart from the authentic and beautiful naturalness with how Luke's gospel concludes. Because there is no, there is no requirement here for us to be life-giving, spirit-filled worshipers than to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and be a part of these 
appraisers, to know what it means to actually see this for ourselves. And so this power that Jesus promised is unleashed in a very unexpected way. Now think about it in that 40-day times. They've seen his power demonstrated in ways that had to leave them just awed and astonished. Think of that, that great catch of fish on the Sea of Galilee, and as those guys are dragging that net in, and they're beginning to count the fish, and, and, and Peter is sitting there staring at Jesus. And remember we saw in that text in John that, they, that all of them thought about saying something, but none of them would say at that point, was the Lord. None of them would ask him who he was because they knew, obviously. And yet still, that indicates that Jesus in these appearances was a somewhat incognito way. When he first meets them, they don't recognize him, even the two on the road to Emmaus, until the breaking of the bread. And then they see. Their eyes are open. Now, back to Acts 1 as we wrap this up. In Acts 1, there's a slight, uh, a slight difference, an important difference. In Acts chapter 1, there's no indication in the first seven verses that they don't know who he is. There's no incognito portion here. There is a crystal clear focus here on wrapping up what they've learned in this crucial 40-day time period. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait to be immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit that none of them yet could really grasp, certainly. What does he mean by the promise of the Father? I mean, they, they, they had in-depth teaching about it the night before he's betrayed, but oh, what a trauma they went through the next day, in the next days. What does he mean? What's the promise of the Father? Well, back to Acts 1.8, let's think of it one way, and that is that in Acts 1.8, the emphasis on the singular you is telling us that the power of God was to be unleashed through ordinary people. The power of God was going to come to them in such a way that all of them, no matter what their background, their race, their social status, their economic well-being, whatever it might be, and this promise, chapter 2, verse 39 says, is for you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off. This is a global promise, but it's a global promise for individuals. How many individuals, Pastor? More than 10, more than 50, more than 100, more than 1,000, more than 10,000, more than a million, more than a billion, even more than the politicians in Washington could spend dollars. I mean, multiplied trillions upon trillions upon trillions. And what he's saying to us is, you are part of that. Now, to bring it home to the church today, I think it's so important that we embrace it in our church family, that we embrace it right here and really understand that in essence, what the Lord is saying to all of us is that this wonderful vision, this wonderful picture for us, launches us with the essential vision that is needed for new life in the simplicity of Christ-empowered ministry. Read again aloud what they did in Luke. Read that aloud from the screen. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. When the ascension moment comes, the Bible describes it as not only from their vantage point, they see him go, but from the heavenly vantage point, Hebrews 1.4, he sat down 
at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is, Christ is reigning, actively, actively today reigning. And so for the church, he brings in every culture, in every setting, even in a setting, in a quiet and beautiful dwelling like this, he says, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And yes, you shall be my witnesses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that today in our lives that the clarity and the simplicity and the directness of what our Lord and Savior gave us in this incredible 40-day time frame where he chose these appearances to enter into their world in ways that none of them could have anticipated. And yet in every case, from the tomb meeting with Mary Magdalene to the seaside restoration of Simon Peter with the thrice-spoken restoring word of the shepherd, if you love me, feed my sheep. From that place of quiet, reinvigorating of a heartbroken leader into the very dwelling, into the very gathering or again around a meal in these last hours, the last dialogue, the last phase of, of what Jesus would say before ascending to the right hand of God. Lord, may it ring in us so strongly that if he said to them, wait for the promise of the Father, oh, that you've invited us to, yes, receive exactly what he promised. The power, the immersion in the Holy Spirit's power, the understanding that you've called each of us, and that you're sending out a people with that explosive power of God who understand that in our, our local church, in our community, in our challenges, no matter how humble they may seem and appear, that it is the same power, it is the same working of the Holy Spirit, and you've called us to be kingdom people, good news people, in a bad news world. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask as, the, as they begin to play for a moment, just a, a quiet reflection, uh, not a walk to the altar kind of invitation, but a quiet reflection maybe for all of you. You could be here and first you may not even be totally sure that in your own life you've said yes, wholehearted yes to Jesus. Lord of my life, be Lord, be the Lord. I know you're the Lord of all, but now Lord, be the Lord of my life personally. And and we love this wonderful opportunity so much to be able to share the beauty of the gift of the new birth that we invite people just one-on-one and you might you might be thinking about that I want to be clear about that I want to be sure and you just just please let me know that I'd like I have the honor of praying with you and sharing a few scriptures and giving you a gift that would help you grow in in your walk with Christ but there are others here that you you could be hearing and thinking about this momentous time when when Jesus gave those last hours of his precious time in the glorified body state, this unusual 40-day time, and that you would say that he concluded it by, by, by saying, you, you, yes, you, 
you will be dispensed with my Holy Spirit's power. And so just in a very simple response, could you lift your hand if you'd say, I just want to be filled to overflowing anew with the Holy Spirit. It's a simple thing to do. And he takes us at our word. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be continually filled and refilled to understand what that means. And I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray that you would bless every person here with a hand lifted uh, in their heart responding in some way. Show us what it means today and show us as a congregation what it means to be really faithful to this vision, the simplicity of being Christ-centered, Christ-empowered, and understanding that under your Lordship, you give each of us individual instructions, and it's all in the power of the Holy Spirit. Show us, Lord, today, in a new way, all of us, what it is to walk in the fullness of that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.